Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today we're going to talk about some of the major subway and LRT construction projects in Toronto, ones that are either recently completed, under construction, or envisioned for the future. While transportation planners come up with the long-term plans to grow our transit infrastructure and politicians debate their merits, it's the engineers, architects, and host of related professionals and construction companies that bring it all to life. Without their expertise, talent, and oftentimes creative genius, our transit plans would never get built. So to get a better sense of what it takes to deliver these incredibly complex projects, I'm joined by Joanna Curvin, third-party technical director with Crosslink Solutions, this consortium building the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. Previously, Joanna was a director for the Spadina Subway Extension, as well as a program manager with the City of Toronto's Transportation Planning Department and she was International Director for the Institute of Transportation Engineers. So Joanna, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Great. So before we get into your experience working on some of these projects, I want to take a few minutes just to talk about your involvement with ULI's Women's Leadership Initiative, or WLI for short, which is set up to promote the advancement of women in real estate and development. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because you're working in an industry which I understand, is very much a male-dominated one. So tell me about your experience being involved with WLI or other initiatives like it and the value it brings you and other women who join. My involvement in WLI has, uh, has been incredibly valuable to me in my role on these large subway projects or big transit projects. It's helped me have uh, a way of accessing other women who are in the industry, um, being able to talk about similar problems or issues, um, and really to be inspired by a lot of these really remarkable women who are making such a big difference in in the city and and on the transit file. So before WLI was set up, I'm not sure how old it is, um, was there a real a real desire for some kind of organization like WLI to come to life to bring women together because they had common interests and ambitions that they wanted to share and, and looking for leadership? I think there absolutely was uh, a, a need that was percolating itself to the surface. Um, WLI, I think, came in at a time when there were a lot more women getting into the industry and certainly were looking for um, other women other women to to talk to about their career progression, uh, about their experiences, uh, about what ne- what steps to take to advance themselves, and and also to be able to um, express their voice. I think mm. women have different voices, um, and they can offer really an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. So to understand that you're not the only one mm-hmm. who has that perspective can be extremely valuable. So I think WI came on the scene um, at an ideal time, and it's certainly grown so much over just such a short period of time that the events are sold out almost without exception. Um, there are more and more events being created, and we're 
we're all getting together and and being able to share that time and and have ha- create those connections. That's great. Um, okay, so let let's get into the topic at hand, um, and I, I want to start off with the the, su- su- the Spadina subway extension to Vaughan. Um, you know, actually, m- my very first planning job. Uh, was almost 20 years ago at the city of Vaughan, and I was a junior planner. And I remember um, uh, occasionally walking by our senior policy director who would pour over plans for this proposed subway to the city of Vaughan. And it it seemed really ambitious. It seemed exciting, and it was kind of neat to see the the proposed route that they had, including the station locations. Um, And now it's done. It's built uh, as of December 2017. Um, so I, I wanted to know, has it turned out the way the planners envisioned it or even the politicians had envisioned it or had, have there been any unforeseen outcomes, either positive or negative? Uh, I would say there, uh, and from my perspective, having been involved in the project since 2004, when the original environmental assessment was done it's exceeded my expectations okay. from that time. Yeah. Um, a couple of really wonderful outcomes of the project um, has been the develop, uh, one of them has been the development in the city of Vaughan at the end of the line. Um, there was a lot of fantastic work done by a number of really key stakeholders, including York Region, city of Vaughan, and private developer to have an office building already open on the opening day of the subway. That's a significant start to to boost development in that area, and certainly all of the plans that have unfolded since then simply provide further support for that. So to me, that was an amazing outcome considering that all that building was going on in parallel with the subway construction. That's not an easy thing to undertake. It's extremely challenging, incredibly complicated. But why is, <clears throat> why is that? When you're working on projects that are ultimately connected together, so for instance, the office building has a direct connection underground into the subway station. The private developer was connecting that tunnel into the subway station at the same time as we were finishing the station. Mm. That takes a lot of of work and collaboration and planning to have that work. Um, it also takes a private and public partnership to make it work too, because typically in a, in a normal um, TTC type project, you wouldn't be allowed to actually have that happen. Um, it, the risks are simply too significant to allow that to be undertaken. So we spent a lot of time finding ways to de-risk that work so that we could allow it to proceed. So it requires some thoughtful planning, thoughtful discussion, and really looking at what the ultimate outcome is going to be to make that happen. Yeah, because the subway created phenomenal opportunity for the the main landowner or landowners up there, and, and they needed to engage with you during the planning stages and the technical planning stages. So it, it seems like it would make sense to, to collaborate them with them before uh, the project takes off. It does make sense, but the, the complexity of subway infrastructure really makes it extraordinarily challenging. So you can imagine 
trying to coordinate with a private developer to actually cut a hole into the side of a station that you've just built to allow a new pedestrian connection to be made. Now, it was built into the design, but still, you're cutting a hole in the side of a subway station. That's not a, that's not a trivial exercise. And so it did require a lot of coordination and thought. But I look at the outcome, and it's phenomenal. So how are the, station, the six stations doing right now? And have they, uh, are they meeting their expectations in terms of numbers of um, patrons? So I can't really speak for TTC at, at this point, but I had seen some numbers that were published that indicated the ridership was at about 72% of what they forecast. Now that may have changed in, in the last number of months um, since I was at TTC. I do know that some of the stations are a lot busier than expected. Certainly the, uh, the Vaughan station is quite busy I had some discussions with TTC and indications are that they've actually had to add staff to that station because it is so busy. And that's a wonderful sign. Um, the fact that it is an attractive place, it's an attractive uh, alternative to driving your car is quite remarkable. Um, some of the other stations certainly have had less, uh, less ridership than you'd expect. Highway 407 station, for instance, um, there were some changes that happened as a result of Go Transit services not going into that station, or at least some of them, that from what was originally planned. So that's, um, but that's a policy decision, and you know, a bit of a disappointment considering the size of size of that terminal. It's an 18 bay bus terminal, so you would expect you'd have a lot of buses. Some of it is for future capacity, but still, um, it was intended to be a very large hub. Um, York University Station's been really quite remarkable, had great ridership there. Um, suffered a bit at the beginning because of the strike at the university, but it's been quite a hub of activity and really quite a source of pride, actually, for the university itself. Um, Keel and Finch has been um, very busy. It's a great walk-in station, lots of, uh, lots of activity there, and that was expected. Um, we would have expected to see that kind of activity when we started. So overall, the stations have delivered, and there's been a lot of excitement around them, particularly around the the, uh, the terminus station, the Vaughan Metropolitan Center. But you know, Spadina Subway Extension was a massive project, and with any massive project, problems do come up. And I think, um, I think if people were to think about the Spadina Subway ex- Extension, um, they may think about delays and and cost overruns. And um, so, what was what, what were the, the reasons for that? What happened? So as with any large project, um, you're bound to face uh, a number of, of problems because you've really only done some planning, some preliminary planning when you start the project, when the budget is set for the project. Uh, but, but there were a couple of major issues that, that came up um, after the original planning and budget were set. So one of them was there's a very, very high water table mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, all of the stations had to be designed to um, counteract uplift. So if you can imagine... Uh, what do you mean by uplift? So, just so there's wa- high water table and high water pressure underground. Mm-hmm. What that means is the station actually could float if you didn't take precautions 
to anchor it into the ground. Okay. If you can imagine mm. a subway station filled with concrete and rebar, that that actually could float underground, it's it's a hard concept to understand. But we actually had to anchor each one of the stations into the ground using different okay. engineering <clears throat> designs. So that adds cost. So was that not foreseen initially? No, it wasn't. Oh. So there were some preliminary geotechnical works done, mm -hmm. but that did not give an indication of the extent of the water pressure okay, issue. Interesting. Uh, the other, one of the other major issues was related to uh, the station design. So the TTC board had actually indicated it, they, they wanted uh, iconic architecture, world-class transit design, um, all built into these subway stations. Um, inevitably, that sort of thing is going to cost more. Uh, there was a whole design uh, process that unfolded that came up with some really quite grand designs that had to be scaled down simply because the costs were so extraordinary. So what, what has been built is, is sort of that midpoint between these grand uh, schemes for these elaborate pieces of architecture and and what's actually been built out there and um, and there's certainly an upgrade from a typical TTC station right so I, I guess when the project started you, you still knew that these were going to be um, really quite amazing pieces of architecture for each of the stations um, did TTC not have a, a solid handle on what the budget would be for those? Or is it just that as you got into those individual stations, um, it, I guess new surprises started to, to appear? It wasn't so much that actually when the budget was, was developed for the subway, the original budget was based on standard TTC stations. Oh, okay. So we were incorporating these architectural features into a budget that was created for a, a, a more standard box-like structure that you'd see, say, on, on the Shepherd subway. So working with the architects and working with, the, with all of the designers and engineers and so on, having to build, uh, build some flexibility into the design to keep the cost down as much as possible but still have this architectural excellence was quite a balancing act. And so what was the the um, the time delay out of all of this? Was it because of the construction or is it because of the up the water uplift you talk about or was there were there other reasons for the the near the nearly I think it was a two year delay? It was a it was about a two year delay overall. Um, the original completion was the end of twenty fifteen and it ended up being the end of twenty seventeen. So certainly the, some, of the, some of the design issues we had up front um, did add on to the timing for, for that. There were also delays in actually getting funding agreements signed. So that, no one was willing to commit money until the funding agreements were signed. And so that pushed out the start of the design process. You can imagine all of these things accumulate into, into delays. And as much as you can try to recover time, um, that doesn't always work out, and when you run into challenges with construction, um, with uh, delays in utility relocations, there, there's ev everything you can imagine it's all the way along. Effect. It's a trickle effect. Yeah. You add, you start adding up all of these individual delays, and ultimately you end up with um, these 
much more extended delays mm-hmm. than we would have liked to see. Okay. Well, let's let's move on then to the project you're working on right now, which is the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. Totally different approach. Uh, maybe not totally different, but a different um, a way of setting it up, uh, which is the the the, the P three uh, approach, inv- actually involving a company I work for, Infrastructure Ontario. But before I get into the actual pr- project, um, LRT, uh, light rail transit, um, I haven't. I still to this day haven't seen one, and I think I may have seen a rendering somewhere. And I there may have been something on Twitter a couple weeks ago about testing one near Kingston. But maybe you can just explain what is the difference between an LRT and the new streetcars that are rolling along uh, the Toronto streets? So there, there's a difference in terms of the vehicles, and there's a difference in terms of the design of uh, the stations or stops. Okay. The, the vehicles are quite significantly longer than, than the streetcars. The, the vehicles that are being delivered for this project, um, the total length of a train will be, uh, will be up to 90 meters long. The streetcars that are out in the street right now that TTC has purchased are 30 meters long. Mm-hmm. That's triple the length. Okay. So that's, that's a significant difference. And you can imagine that provides a lot more capacity for each train that's making a trip. Um, in terms of the design of the system, the difference is that you're you're building stops that are much more widely spaced apart. In a subway. In oh, you no, know, in an LRT. Oh, an LRT compared, so a, it's an, an intermediate type of transit okay. between a subway and a streetcar, and that's that's a very deliberate choice for uh, for a route like Eglinton. Uh, so the station stops aren't as far apart as perhaps a subway but they're closer together. Uh, they're a little bit closer to a streetcar. Mm-hmm. So they're in that, that in-between um, in between phase, stage of the two. So, um, but the underground component uh, of the Eglinton Crosstown, which is, I guess, runs from Mount, is it uh, Mount Dennis? Right. To Laird? Is that right? That's right. Okay. That's where the next, the two portals are. Yes. The two, I guess, and then it extends beyond that on on the surface. But is the underground component, I mean, the approach to building it, is it very much like building a subway? Actually, it very much is. Okay. The stations will be smaller. A typical TTC station is 150 meters long. So that's how long a subway train is. These ones will be 90. So it's a scaled down version of a, a subway uh, subway station, but they will look and feel very similar. The platform is going to look and feel similar. Um, there will be stairs and escalators, all the familiar types of features that you would normally see in a subway station, you'll see in an LRT station. You still have to get out to the surface. The entrances will have the same types of features like elevators, escalators, and stairs coming out onto the street. There's going to be a slightly different look and feel because it's been deliberately designed to have its own identity. But at the end of the day, it's going to feel like a subway station. Mm-hmm. And compared to the, the Vaughan subway extension with those architectural gems for each of those six stations, will the LR, the uh, Eglinton Crosstown LRT stations, will they have any architectural difference from one to the other or will they all pretty much look the same? 
So the design approach for the entrances into the LRT stations is, has been developed as a suite of um, architectural features. So the, the look and feel is going to, it, it's going to look like a matched series of entrances and exit uh, entrances, but not every single one is the same. But the materials are the same, the lighting is the same, the glass will be the same. So you, you'll, you'll notice that you're in one of the LRT stations, but they will look a little bit different coming in off of the street. Mm -hmm. So, so far it's been, how many years has the project been underway? From the start of the CTS work, what is, what is CTS? Crosstown Transit oh, Solutions. Okay. Right. So okay. CTS signed a contract with uh, with the province in 2015, and that's when the project started. But before that, um, the province had retained a company to do the tunneling work. So the tunneling work was already done when we came on board. So we're picking up from the point at which the tunneling was finished, and then we're completing the project. So from 2015 to now, so three years, and we've got another three years to go. Uh, before the opening of the entire Before line. the opening of the entire line, September 2021. That's okay. etched in our minds. Right. So, um, uh, well, I'm here at your office uh, here at Young and Shepherd, and it's, it's well after five, and there's still a beehive of activity. So I guess that three-year timeline is is on everyone's minds, including yours. But I imagine with a big project like this, um, there's bound to be some setbacks along the way, even though everything is tried, uh, it, there's a real attempt to make everything work according to plan, it's all the design specifications and so on. Um, what have been, if any, some, some setbacks that, or challenges that you've encountered along the way? Well, I haven't actually been on the project oh, for all that long, right. um, but I do know that the design process has, um, I think it's, it's been a work in progress with everyone. Um, getting started with a lot, of the, a lot of the preparatory work has been extraordinarily challenging. Um, some of the things that we're running into along Eglinton because of the age of the, the, age of the corridor, we're running into cast iron pipes that are 100 years old. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine you run into something like that. Um, you can't really touch it without breaking it. Mm -hmm. And that slows everything down. So as soon as you run into something like that, you're automatically stopping, saying, okay, now how do I fix this? How do I make sure that people still have water running into their homes um, and, and working with the city to try to get things back on track. So there have been there have been some real challenges from a utility standpoint. We don't even in some cases we don't even have drawings for some of this uh, for some of this infrastructure. So when Crosslink sets out to do this, they put a budget together. I guess there's um, there's there's a, a sizable contingency that uh, you have to allow for for instances like this where you have this cast iron pipes and and other such uh, unforeseen. Uh, outcomes. Well, 
We do. I mean, there has to be some contingency set aside because um, as much information as the city has available, until you actually uncover that infrastructure, you really don't have a very clear idea of what's there unless you do a lot of investigation up front. And in, in some cases, it's, it's worthwhile to do a lot more upfront investigation, um, but in, in other cases, it may not. It really depends on the location and, and the extent of some of the underground infrastructure that you don't understand or don't have a lot of visibility about. Um, some, of our, some of our biggest challenges are coming up, um, and uh, those are areas that we have to focus a lot of attention on at both Young Street and at uh, Cedarvale, so Eglinton West Station, um, we have to support the subway box. So the, the operating subway station, we the have existing to one. hold it up yeah. while we're building a station underneath. Because that was going to be my next question. What are some or one or more engineering feats that you're really quite impressed by with this project? So is the young, the young subway holding that box up one of them? It's... It's absolutely a remarkable undertaking. So um, the way that the support system has been designed is that it will not allow the TTC station to settle more than two millimeters. Imagine that. That's a very, mm -hmm. very small amount of movement. And that's what the engineers on this project have designed. They're, they're a remarkable group of people. Are these engineers... Toronto-based, or are they from all over the world? I mean, it sounds like you're really pushing the envelope or pushing the uh, abilities of, of engineering uh, technology and engineering approaches to, to making sure this all uh, turns out properly. Actually, these types of work have been done all over the world. So we're not actually reinventing anything. Um, we are using tried and proven technology to do this work. So, but it's really remarkable to see it and, and look at how they've designed this and the redundancies they build into these support systems. It's really something else. I, I'm not sure I would want to sign off on it, but they have proven these in other, in other jurisdictions. Some of, the, some of the designers are in fact local. Others are brought in for their expertise in perhaps dealing with um, specialized equipment or uh, a particular methodology of mm -hmm. building. Any other engineering feats that you're uh, quite impressed by? On this project, um, there's there's really some remarkable work going out in Mount Dennis. Um, we've had to make sure that we maintain all of the go and up express traffic out at the West End. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's obviously a very busy corridor. Um, moving railway corridors is not an easy feat. Mm -hmm. And we're actually building a new structure underneath, so we actually have to keep that corridor running while we're building a tunnel underneath. Um, so yeah, some, some pretty remarkable things that are being done on the project. Um, one of the other ones is actually mining stations. Uh, we're actually using a, what's called a sequential excavation method mining to mine four of the stations for the project. Hmm. And it's, it's hard to describe, but it's, um, it's a really, uh, it, it's very appropriate for the places that they're they're using this method. Is that it, because the tunnel has to run very deep underground, or is there? No, it's uh, a lot of it is r around traffic disruption okay. and trying to minimize it in some of these areas where the where the station box is very tight. Mm -hmm. um, its environs are quite tight, so those locations were picked to to do the mining. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's quite a remarkable thing to see. 
and it's it's done very slowly, very carefully. Um, it's very carefully controlled. Uh, the water table is a, a big factor. Um, the ground conditions are a huge factor in doing this. So which station uh, comes to mind the next time I'm, I'm up in the Eglinton area? Uh, Avenue Road. Avenue Road, okay. Is one. Um, and I've actually been in that station. It's, it's really quite something to see. Uh, Laird is another one. And I believe... Bayview, mm-hmm. our Leaside Station, okay. is, is another one. Okay. So it's it's quite something. Um, and it's the first time it's been used this extensively in Toronto, but the subway project actually used the SEM mining as well um, under the Hydro Corridor north of Finch. Hmm. So lots of, lots of really interesting technology that's being used for these projects. Very good. I, I want to step back and just um, touch upon transit city which was the lrt plan that uh, former mayor david miller had introduced um and i think it it um it got pretty far at least in terms of its ea approvals but then when um when rob ford became mayor uh the program uh, halted um are there any lrt lines within that plan that you think um would really make a difference in terms of moving uh, people around the city I think there are a couple that um, had really advanced quite far um, and served areas of the city that simply don't have access to higher quality transit. And one of them is the Shepherd, uh, the Shepherd LRT. That's that going east. Going right. east all the way to uh, Morningside and a new storage facility for LRTs. Um, that area north of the 401 ha- is, is sadly lacking in significant transit access. Um, and the connection to the Shepherd subway is was really going to provide them with that kind of access. Um, I think that one was, I mean, this is my personal opinion, I think that was a miss um, and a missed opportunity because it, it was supposed to be done by the Pan Am Games. You have the new aquatic facility out on Morningside, and that provi- would have provided great access to that facility for a lot more people. So that one, I think, was um, was a missed opportunity. Um, the other one that I think is probably may come back in a different carna- incarnation, and that's the Don Mills LRT. And I actually was the project manager when I was at the mm. City of Toronto okay. for that particular line. So um, that runs north from Pape, is that right? Runs north from Pape. Okay. Uh, there were some different alignments that we were looking at coming out of uh, the Bloor-Danforth line or line two, but it would run directly north through Thorncliffe Park, up Don Mills Road. Um, I suspect some iteration of that may come out of the uh, the Relief Line North um, exercise that's being undertaken right now. So I can I can hope that it might that some form of it might actually come back on the table, particularly to connect with the Science Center station at Don Mills Eglinton. Right. So certainly the opportunities there, and I think there's been some preliminary work um, done to look at at, Don Mills, at the mm-hmm. Science Center station at Don Mills and Eglinton. So do you think that now that the Eglinton Crosstown LRT is well underway, um, there's an underground component to it, but there's also the surface component to it, and it's clearly in its own right, right of way, doesn't interfere with traffic. Do you think local and maybe provincial politicians would look at an LRT differently than they may have in the past, back in, in um, uh, after the Transit City, uh, uh, well, I guess after Mayor Miller lost uh, to Rob Ford. Um, 
because like me, I didn't really know what an LRT was. I, I have a better idea now, thank you. Um, but I'm just wondering again, what, whether uh, there's a little bit more clarity about what it is and that maybe it's more like a subway and less like a streetcar. Well, I guess only time will tell, but yeah. I, I certainly think that once it's up and operating, it's something you can look at, feel at, feel it, ride it, and just see what it really means to um, using transit, to using, uh, to traveling through the city and the connectivity it provides. At the end of the day, that's what transit is for, is to pri- provide options and provide connectivity. Um, the interesting part will see, be to see how people on the aggregate section respond to it and and frankly how the development community responds to having it there because um, we know that there's already some some indication from the development community that they're interested in a lot of the sites along the LRT route and that's a, that's a good thing uh, that's what you you're you're wanting to support existing communities and and provide for future growth well, all of those things are important, and if we're getting the signals from the development community that they're interested, um, that's all good. Is, is the LRT the first of its kind in North America, or is it something that that a politician or other planners can see in other jurisdictions, either in North America or, or in Europe? It's certainly not the first of its kind. Um, I've been out to Los Angeles. They have some new LRT routes that are... Um, really quite fascinating. They go through all kinds of different um, environments, whether it's going through residential communities, they're on old railway rights of way, they're in suburbs, they're in the middle of highway. There are plenty of examples around certainly the United States and Europe where you do have these LRTs and they're really very successful. So I wanna finish off by just about getting the word out word out to the public, that is. And I think for transit projects, particularly ones that are underground, um, it's it's really hard to, to know, I guess, as a casual observer, what's going on, what's going on behind the hoarding, what's going on deep underground. Um, it's not a condo project or an office project where you can see what's happening in, in clear sight. This is all something that's sort of behind the scenes. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, in terms of getting the message out, I think you've been you've been doing a great job, uh, at least through Twitter, which is one form of social media, of keeping the public um, up to speed with with uh, some photos and some great captions um, on some of the activity on the progress of these construction projects. So, is is that why you're tweeting, just sort of to communicate to the public? Or is there another reason? And how come more people in the industry, in your industry, aren't, aren't doing the same? I I started tweeting on when I was on the uh, the subway project, and I actually also got into Instagram. Uh, and it was it was really for that reason. I first of all, I'm really proud of the work that I'm involved in. Um, I'm not the one doing the heavy lifting. But I think we need to provide some visibility for those people who are involved in, in actually building these projects because they're really complicated. They're um, really challenging. And we're doing this for the general public. I mean, these are public projects. These are public infrastructure. Um, and to your point, no one sees what's behind the hoarding. Uh, it's all underground. 
Um, the only thing you see at the end of the day are the little stations, station entrances or right. bus terminals that pop up out of the ground. Uh, so I really felt compelled to share with the, the people in the area and anybody else who was interested what it takes to build these projects and why they're so complicated and what I find fascinating. I'm an engineer, but um, I think I have a handle on what people would find interesting about these kinds of projects and the sheer scale and magnitude and the reason why they cost so much money. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, they they cost a lot of money because they are so complex. So I felt compelled to bring whoever was interested in following me mm-hmm. along on a journey of seeing this project unfold. And um, I got some really great, I got really remarkable response from it. Um, very little that was negative. And I think there's, I think there's a need for more people in mm-hmm. our industry to do to that. Do that yeah. But um, there's some hesitancy from the, the fellows who work on our sites to sort of get engaged in that sort of process. We do have some restrictions on the, on the Crosstown because most of the social media is handled by, by the client. Um, but and they, they are trying to get the word out to, to everybody that they can reach. Um, but there's nothing quite the same as an individual um, showing some of the work that they're doing as opposed to it coming from a corporate account. So I'm hoping that I get a little bit more latitude to, to share a little bit more because I really had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and you can tell from your tweets um, and the post the photos that you're posting, the excitement really comes out. And, um, and I can tell you're very excited about the project itself. This has been really interesting to learn more about the different projects you're working on, what's going on in the city. Um, and what's going on behind the hoarding. So thanks again for your time. It's been really great. Thanks very much, Jeremy. Uh, Happy to be here.